following teaching is from the 2013 All In Men's Conference at Camp Choye. We hope it's a blessing to you. For more information about the men's ministry at Houston's First Baptist Church, you can visit us on the web at houstonsfirst.org forward slash men. Let me ask, uh, how many of you guys are married? Yeah, most of you. Good deal. Good deal. How many of you have children? Children out there? Yeah, yeah, cool. Okay. How many of you have been to a men's retreat before? Yeah, okay. All right, cool. You know, I so have appreciated uh, the messages that uh, we've all heard uh, already, uh, starting last night. And Robbie's, uh, really, I think about Robbie, I think about just God's amazing redemptive power. Uh, not only in his life, but certainly in my life, and maybe some of you can relate to that. I could. I could relate to that, how God can take someone that's so broken and and heal them. And I can, I'm going to share some of that with you today. I'm going to share a little bit of my testimony and my walk for you. And, and you know, and just hearing God's purpose for salvation of all mankind to draw each of us to Him, it's just so such an encouragement. I wanted to talk, something that God's put on my heart a while back, though, is this whole kind of mindset that is men and the world we live in I don't know if you're like this but so many times in my life I have been in a period of discontent can any of you relate to that feeling like you don't measure up I don't know if you ever read John Eldridge's book uh, Wild at Heart you know that book you know one of the things that resonates with me that is men one of the things we have is this need to prove that we can accomplish the goal Anybody recognize that in you? Anybody feel that way? Have you ever? It's like hardwired in us as men. You know why it is? I think in 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 the Word it says that the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is a warrior, and you know what? We're created in His image, so we have the hearts of warriors. God has designed us specifically and purposely as men to accomplish really big goals. But we live in a world, and I, and, I, and I wanted to start with this this Declaration of Independence of the United States. This, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of what? Happiness. Now, when they wrote that originally, I don't think they would have ever envisioned the world we live in today and what the pursuit of happiness has come to mean. You know, when they wrote that, they wrote that under the context and the foundation of principles of freedom. God ordained freedom. They had in their mind that in the United States we would experience a freedom that the original colonists had never experienced and their families had never experienced. That's what they wrote. And yet we live in a world where we have exchanged principles of freedom for really the principle of materialism. We all seek things to fulfill us. And this country is the greatest example of that. Of any, well, this is the greatest country in so many ways, but I tell you, when you travel around the world, people shake their heads at the U.S. because they can't believe how hard we work. They just can't believe it. It's just an amazing work ethic in this country. And so I think one of the things I want to kind of talk to you about today is, is what that really might look like for each of us as we pursue 
Christ in our lives. I'll tell you quickly my story. I think we've got 40 minutes, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll through this. I've probably got about two hours of stuff, but I'm going to quickly go through this. Um, here's my story. I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was a pastor. My grandfather was a pastor. My great-grandfather was a pastor. I grew up in a family of pastors. I, I grew up going to church every Sunday, going to all the youth group stuff. You know, I did all the church stuff. I went to every. I came to this camp. I went to all the church camps, man. I did all that stuff. But you know, what? I, those were things I had to do because my father was the preacher. I had to do that. You know what I love doing though? I love playing sports. I played every sport, probably like a lot of you. I played all the sports. I never really made any commitment to the Lord other than I knew who the Lord was and I knew all the churchy stuff. I get out of high school. My brother had played at Baylor. I thought, well, I'm going to Baylor. Long story short, Baylor didn't recruit me and neither did any other Southwest Conference schools at that time. No one. None of the large schools. And I said, well, I'm not going to go to play at a smaller school. And so long story short, my girlfriend goes to Texas A&M. I've never set foot on Texas A&M's campus. Didn't know anything about Texas A&M. But I was ticked at Baylor because they didn't recruit me. So I said, well, I'm not going there. And my girlfriend, who became is now my wife of 30 years, went to A&M. I said, well, where am I going? I'll go to A&M. And I did this little thing called being, I said, I went and met with Coach Ballard. And Coach Ballard said, well, Fred, why don't you come? And you'll be an invited walk-on. Come in with the freshman class. I didn't, I'd never heard the term walk-on. I know what that meant. Never heard the term. Like, well, okay, I'll just go ahead and do that. So I walk in the first day, the first day, no kidding, two days, Texas A&M, I learned real quick what a walk-on was. At Texas A&M at that time, the scholarship players wore maroon jerseys, and the walk-ons were issued a green jersey. And, um, long, you know, fast forward, uh, my goal in life became a succession of goals relating to football and academics. I determined I was going to become the best football player I could be, and I was going to do well in school. Those were my goals. And I had, in fact, I had an acronym. I had a little three-pronged thing that I, I lived by. It was weights, football, and school. That's it. I didn't have time for my girlfriend. I didn't have time. I didn't go to church. I, those three things. That was it. And long story short, you know what? I got out of that green jersey. My second year, and Boy, things worked out, and I became a starter, and all those kind of things. Fifth year, next to last game, TCU, 20-yard line, Kyle Field, knee planted to the ground, tore every leg of my left knee. Next to last game. Football's over. I was laying on Kyle Field's quiet, still day. Still remember, just like today. Perfectly still. You know how someone's hurt bad, the stadiums go dead quiet? It's like one of those times, if you're the guy. <laughs> it's like dead silence. It's like, I'm like staring up, and it's like... But I tell you what I felt, this is going to sound crazy to you, I felt like it's over. And I felt this great peace that all the effort and all the work and all the misplaced ladders in my life that were leaning against the wrong wall came to clarity in that event laying on Kyle Field. Now I'd like to tell you that immediately I just surrendered my life to Jesus Christ at that moment. That didn't happen. But something did happen. God took away something that I thought was so important and took it out of my life. And for the next two years, I battled God. I mean, I battled Him. 
And I had been doing, you know, I had been living kind of like this ultra life, kind of really good guy, looks good on the outside, and doing some stupid stuff on the backside. And some of that continued into my marriage. In the second year of my marriage, I got down on my knees and I surrendered my life, gave up. I said, Lord, I have screwed this all up. And Jesus, I know who you are and I need you. And I gave up. And then a pastor got me in a discipleship group a few years later, 24 weeks. In fact, I'm doing one right now with Jared, that same group, 25 weeks, 6 a.m. And we poured through Scripture for 25 weeks. And that set me on a course of really pursuing the Lord. During that time, or shortly thereafter, 1990, I left the company I was with and started a business, a real estate company. And I fell back into a lot of those same habits. And I don't know about you, but one of my biggest drivers is fear of failure. Anybody else? Fear of failure. Huge driver in my life. Fear of failure. I don't want to fail. And so for me, what that looked like running that company and starting that company was working seven days a week. I mean, I would work... You know, God, God gave me the ability to work. And I always felt like I could outwork you know, anybody that, that was, if I was competing with them. And I worked all the time. In the interim, my, my, our daughter was two, our first daughter. And uh, Susan was pregnant with our second daughter, Lindsay. Uh, I never was home for about four years. Never came home until my oldest daughter was about six And so I struggle with this issue, finding balance. How do I meet all the needs? Anybody ever felt that way this week? (laughs) Right? How do I do it all? How do I I spend the right amount of time with my family? How do I do do all the church stuff I want to do? I mean, I want to be in the Bible study. I want to go on the men's retreat. I want, I want to, you know, and then, oh, by the way, I want to be successful in business. I really want to do that. I want to be successful there. Anybody battle that other than me? Right? It's meant, right? I mean, it is like a battle. It's been a battle for me. And I'll tell you, God has really been working on me in this area, finding balance, okay? Here's what God has shared with me. This is the worldview. How many of you have heard and even thought about I want to live a balanced life. Balance. Right? And the metric we use for that is time. Time. I've got five activities. I divide divide the 24 hours that I've got in a day. Divide it by whatever amount of time on the sleep. You divide it by five and you start to allocate your time. And, you know, I put some things on here. You, you can add to this list. But, okay, I got work. I got family. Uh, oh, spirituality. Church, all the church things and those kind of things. And, oh, I volunteered. A lot of charitable activities. And, man, I love to play golf. And I love to work out and do those kind of things. Does that chart look like anybody? Anybody relate to that chart? Yeah. Right? And what happens when somebody says, oh, by the way, you know, I'd love for you to serve on this committee. I'd love for you to serve in this area. Would you be willing to do that? Oh, man, I'm so glad you asked me to do that. I'm in. What do you do? Well, I'm going to cut back on working out. So we add another little slice of the pie, right? 
right? And then, and then your wife says, golly, Fred, you haven't been home for three nights. You've been gone. You had a church meeting. You had this meeting. You had that meeting. You know what? And the, and the, and the girls haven't seen you. Oh, God, I feel so bad. Okay, I'm going to cut back on. I'm going to cut back on this volunteer activity here, and I'm going to increase this family piece a little bit more. Sound familiar? Yeah, that's what God's shared with me. That's what my life had looked like for a long time, and so we end up in this balance, life balance. Okay. I want to take you to Scripture, and you got your Bibles with you. I, I, I love Peter's story because for me. It looks a lot like my story. And unfortunately, I can say it's looked like my story more than once. Okay? So, Luke 5. Great passage. I'm just going to... You can follow along, but I'll just paraphrase it like this. So, Jesus is walking by the sea, and He sees Simon, who He's already met, and his guys, and he's the lead guy. Peter is the lead guy. Simon Peter, he's the lead guy. He's the CEO of his company. He sees them by the shore, and he says, what to Simon? He says, can I borrow your boat? So Jesus gets in Simon's boat, and he preaches to the people that are on the shore. And, and let me tell you the backdrop. These guys have fished all night, and what they catch? Zippo. The pros. Simon, the CEO has been on a mission, his company has failed, no profit that day, zero. Jesus tells him what? After he gets through preaching, he says, go out in your boats. Where does he tell them? Cast the nets where? The other side. And he says, go out in the deep water. They didn't fish in the deep water. They're small boats. He says, go out in the deep water. Didn't make sense to these guys. You go out in the deep water and throw your nets on the other side. And what they do? They caught... Huge catch. Huge catch. In fact, they had to get another boat. Simon's calling for his other boat. By the way, I believe Simon didn't get in the boat either, and I'll tell you why in a second. I don't think he was even in the boat. I think he sent his guys out to fish. He sees from the shore, standing by Jesus, his huge catch. He signals for the other boat to come over. They haul in this huge catch because, I say this, because Simon, when he saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees. These are small boats they fished out of. You're not falling to your knees in these little rocking boats they were fished out of that day. I believe he's on the shore. He had what? how much faith did he have that this would work? That much. The only faith he had was enough faith to send the boat out. I don't think he had enough faith to get in the boat. But he sent the boat. And he says, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. What do you feel? Guilt. God called him to do something and he didn't really fool. What did we hear about last night, even again this morning? What? Commitment? What was his commitment level? It wasn't, it wasn't 100. It wasn't 95. It was kind of like 10. I'll send my guys. They go fish. And they were astonished at the fish they'd taken. And look at this. Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on you'll fish for men. So they pulled their boats up. They left everything and they followed him. Catching those fish was enough for uh, Peter to say, you know what, I'm going to follow him. You remember this later. After the Last Supper, what does Simon, what does Peter say to Jesus when Jesus says, you know, what they're going to suffer? He says, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. You know the rest of the story, right? 
flipped it one time there. Here's the rest of the story. Immediately there rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you'll disown me how many times? Three times, which is exactly what happened. He went outside and what? Wept bitterly. Why do you weep bitterly? Guilt. Guilt. Filled with guilt. Do you remember my time clock? What do we feel when we don't balance time right? Guilt. Guilt and guilt and guilt and guilt and guilt. John 21. Somebody open their Bible to 21 for me, please. Let's go to John 21. We'll do this together. I don't want you to miss this point. You all know Peter's story. You may have never thought of this point. I want to find out. We find where I want to read from. Yeah. Go to uh, 21. Let's just read this. 21. We'll start at 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Okay. Simon Peter Thomas called Didymus. Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, put a, put a, I'm going to put a stop right here. Put a hard stop. You might underline, I'm going out to fish in your Bibles, and let me tell you why. What's happened? You remember the women came out of the tomb, and they informed the disciples. Two disciples ran to the tomb. Who was it? Peter and John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Peter's running. If you'll read that account, Peter's running as hard as he can. And before he gets to the tomb, you'll notice he slows down. Because it starts, the reality of what he's about to see starts to hit him. You can see it in Scripture. It's, it's, just, it's just so clear. He starts to slow down. Why? Guilt. He does not want to go in that tomb. He slows down. The other guy runs in. John runs in and sees the tomb's empty. And then we're told Peter goes in, totally filled with guilt. He didn't have he again failed in his faith. What does he revert back to? Where does he go? Somebody said it right here. Back to work. He went back to his office. Simon Peter went fishing because that's his office. He said, you know what? Obviously, I've failed following Jesus. I told him I'd follow him by the shore of the lake after we caught all those fish. I remember catching all those fish. I told him I wouldn't deny him. Denied him three times. And now I see an empty tomb and a resurrected Christ. How in the world could He love me? 
I suspect some of you come here today thinking, how in the world could Jesus love me? You know, I hear about 100% commitment. I hear about giving it all. And man, I'm still struggling with pornography. I'm still battling this. I'm still, man, I go home and my wife and I are fighting. God knows that about us. And He wants you and me to be healed like Peter. And Jesus makes this amazing statement. In 21, He says, after they've, after by the way, you know how He welcomed them? I mean, this is, this is God. God. Jesus. You know how He welcomed these guys? By the way, they didn't catch anything again. How about that for a spiritual waypoint? I mean, man. And he says, fish the other side, guys. You know how he welcomes them after all this amazing spiritual stuff? Come and have breakfast with me, guys. Jesus over there cooking. He's got a spatula cooking some fish for him. That's how much God loves us. That's how much he wants to forgive us. He welcomes you home. He welcomes you with breakfast. Come on, let's have a little fellowship together and eat some breakfast. John twenty-one fifteen. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? What is the these? I see Jesus. What's he holding up? What's he saying? Do you love me more than what? Do you love me more than your office? Do you love me more in your office? Boy, I tell you, I, this hit me the first time God spoke this to me. I'm like, man, Lord, what a sinful man I am. Because I have to honestly say there are days that I love that office more than I ever loved the Lord. I love the pursuit and the goals and the, and the pursuit of success more than I love the Lord. Just like Peter. And boy, God spoke this to me. He said, Fred, do you love me more than these? This stuff? Do you love me more than that? And I think he's asking each of you the same question this morning. He's holding us fish up. He's holding your office up. He's holding your work up, your career goals, your ambitions. And he's saying, do you love me more than these? Do you really? Do you love me more than these? How many times did Jesus say, do you love me? You remember? Three times. How many times did Peter deny him? Can you imagine what Peter felt when he's like, one, two, and on the third one, what's he do again? He's weeping. He sees the parallel. Okay? He sees the parallel, and then at the end of it all, as Jesus leads him through feeding his sheep, feeding his lamb, caring for his sheep, okay? He makes a very simple thing. He says, Peter... In verse 19, I want you to go to church and I want you to get in a good Bible study and I want you to, I want you to um, be sure you take the kids and get them in Sunday school and I want you to be sure and um, I want you to pray for 12 minutes. No, I want you to pray for 27 minutes, seven days a week. That's not what he said. What's verse 19 say? Man, underline this. Two words. 
It's the same thing Jesus says to every disciple, and he says to you and to me, two words. This is, this is, this is the religion of Jesus. Okay? Carve all the other religious stuff that we've ever learned and slammed into our heads about church and doing church and all that stuff. The religion of Jesus is two words. Follow me. That's the religion of Jesus. Follow me. The break for Peter, the break for me, the break I suspect for a lot of you maybe that are here today is that very simple call of Jesus that says, follow me. Follow me. Love me more than all this stuff. Follow me and let's see what happens if you do that. Okay? I went through this deal. A lot of these, how are my Outback guys? Raise your hand. Outback guys. Yeah, got a bunch of Outback guys in here. A lot of these guys have been in this little place in Nowhere, California called J.H. Ranch. I took my daughter there, my oldest daughter, Amanda, when she was 12. Okay? It's a father-daughter gig. Um, I went there and God really poured into... I, went, I, I took her there for her so that God would help her. Yeah. And you know what happened? He took a big old torque wrench and <laughs> on me. One of the things I learned about with this whole idea of the law of diminishing returns, some of you have heard of that. It's the economic principle. It says the more you consume of anything, uh, the less it fulfills. There's less value. There's less value in incremental output. It's called the law of diminishing returns. It applies to everything. Think about, you know, steak. If you like steak, man, the first bite of steak tastes great, doesn't it? But if you, you know, have you ever seen one of those like eat all you can steak special deals or like the biggest steak and Amarillo deal? You know, can you imagine how bad that last steak piece before you're ready to vomit tastes like? Can you imagine how bad? It's the law of diminishing returns. It applies to everything on this earth. Everything, except one thing that's not a thing. It's a person. God. The more we consume of God, the more He fulfills and the more we want. It's an amazing principle. The only contradiction to the law of diminishing returns is God. The more we consume of Him, the more we want. That started to really drive me into saying, I want more of you, Jesus. I want more of you, and it started me thinking about priorities. And this, this verse right here has freed me. This has freed me. This passage right here. This passage freed me in so many ways. And I go back to it. I go back to it. And I go back to it. Because in this, it's the same thing that freed Peter. Somebody have that 25-34, Matthew 6, 25-34? You want to read it? Hmm? This is why I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add a single cubit to his height by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Learn, learn how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. 
Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't He do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the idolaters eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Thanks so much. Thanks. Brett, thank you, Brett. Hey, verse 33, man, underline that verse in your Bible. Underline it, highlight it, circle it, asterisk it. I, there's not a more powerful verse, I think, in, in Scripture for those of you that battle with the battles that I faced, have faced in my life, and that is this whole deal of getting caught up in worldly success and, and succeeding in all these different avenues. But seek what? Second, seek third, seek, seek after you get everything done, seek what? Seek first. first, first. So do you hear priority? Do you hear priority in that? Seek first what? The kingdom of God. And then what will happen? Then, progression, right? Priority, progression. Then what will happen? Then all these things will be added unto you. Why? Because what? Because the Father knows what? Huh? You need them, right? That's right. The Father knows that you need all these things. So why what? Does that free you? Does that free you? Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. And then all these things will be added unto you that the Father knows you need. That the Father knows you need. Seek first the kingdom of God. You know, this is something that's really hit me. The early disciples were not balanced. Was Peter balanced? Was his life balanced? What did he do when he got out of there? He's out there fishing. He's in his office the first time, right? He's in his office fishing. He comes on the shore. They had the big catch. He falls to his knees in guilt. I'm a sinful man. And, and God says to him, Jesus says to him, what? Follow me. What's he do? Leaves his office. He went and followed the Lord. Three years. Took off. Following the Lord. Seek first, and then these things will be added unto you. Ten? Ten minutes? Perfect. Hey, you guys have this? You've got a handout there? Everybody have that? Should have them on your chairs. You pass them down. If you got, you got a stack of them, I think. Jared, you want to make sure everybody's got it. If you don't have one of these, raise your hand. So, this is something God put on my heart a while back, and it's, it's something that is pulled from Scripture. Summarize it. I talk to a lot of guys who say, man, I don't know where God's calling me to go. Does anybody have that thought? I don't know what God's call, what His will is for my life. Where is He calling me to go? What am I supposed to do? This is a little exercise for you to answer where God is meeting you on the shore of the lake and leading you off. Where does He want you to follow Him? Okay? Jesus is clearly saying to you and to me, follow me. Now where does He want you to go? And this little exercise to help you figure that out. And it's real simple. The P stands for passion. The call of God on your heart. In the Hebrew, the word heart 
encompasses three things. Your intellect, your emotion, and your will. That's what when the, in the Old Testament it talks about the heart, that's what it means. Intellect, emotion, and your will. The call of God in your heart. Colossians 3.23 When you do your work, work as though you're working for whom? The Lord. The Lord. Okay? When we go to our offices, man, we have the awesome opportunity to glorify God in everything we do. Every conversation, every person we meet, and let me tell you, the test of all tests, when the trips are falling and the, everything's burning up and the deal went south, what a great and awesome opportunity to glorify God. When you can put it on autopilot, everything's going great. Man, I'm a, I'm a strong believer in Christ. Everything's going so well. Man, that's no test. It's when the deal's falling apart company can't make payroll you know your best your best employee just left how are you going to handle it work is so working for the Lord Revelations 2 1 and 6 the church at Ephesus a wealthy church I was in Ephesus this summer if you guys get a chance go to Ephesus you're going to go any, go to Ephesus walk down the streets of marble that Paul walked down this is a wealthy church and, and Jesus says I know your good works, but you've lost what? You've lost your first love for whom? Jesus. Rediscover this weekend your first love. Priority. Say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you wherever you lead me. Passion. Romans 12. You want to know the will of God? Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. What are the patterns of this world? We talked about one success. Big pattern. Pattern this world: success, money, things. Load up the load up the car, man. Get all the stuff you can get. That's the patterns of this world. But be transformed by what? The renewal of your mind. Transformed by the renewal of your mind. Great passage to study and pray over these three. Think about your passion. And on that on that graph, there's a down at the bottom of this page. When you get some quiet time this weekend, if you can, I know you like hanging out with all the guys and that's cool, but if you can take 30 minutes and pray about this and fill out, what are you passionate about? Pray to the Lord and say, Lord, clearly identify, what am I passionate about? And, and one thing about that passion, it should relate to people. Now, Eric said it earlier, you know, if we, when we're saved... If that's all there is to this gig, man, it would be saved, zap, heaven. I mean, why in the world does he leave us here? Your passion should clearly relate to people. Passion to follow the Lord and then passion relating to people. Okay? Experience. God uses our past experience to prepare us for the future. Mark 5.20, that's the demonic that was healed. Remember the legion? Pigs get the demons off the cliff. Jesus said, go and tell your family. He was healed. Past experience. God uses painful past experiences. Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4 says that the way that we have been injured is the way we can go comfort others. 
As God has comforted us, if you've gone through alcoholism, let me tell you, your point of ministry probably could be no greater, at least it's as great as anything else, as being able to deal with people that are battling alcohol. If you have conquered pornography, if God has healed you of that, let me tell you, your point of ministry is probably in that area. It's at least one of them. If you've had struggles and battles in your marriage, and God has healed those struggles and battles, let me encourage you to look at it in helping other married couples that are going through those battles, painful experiences, and past failures. You know, none of us walk a perfectly straight line, and we will not until we go to heaven, where there is no sin. None of us. Because when you look back, you look at Adam. Original sin of man, not mankind. Passivity, by the way, guys. Passive. Adam should have taken a snake, ripped its head off, you know, gone. Uh, what's, the guy, what's that guy uh, Robbie was talking about? What do you call that? Ultimate fight night, ultimate fight deal, you know, all that stuff. So that's what Adam should have done. He should have gone warrior on the snake, man. The snake attacked his family. He didn't. He was passive. It's in each of us, by the way. And every man is passivity. Be, be careful of that. You know, we, 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 we need to be bridled under control. Meek. That means power under control. Under the control of Jesus. But believe me, you are wired to be a warrior for your family first. Protect your family. Um, Abraham lied about his wife. A little minor issue. Moses, murder. David, what? Bathsheba, huh? Eyes. By the way, not at where should have been. Where was he? Should have been at battle. Where was he? Hanging out on the rooftop, man, bored. You want to get in, you want to get in trouble, guys? Put put too much time and nothing in your day. Paul, murder. Did Paul even know, but Paul became a believer. Did Paul get it all right? How about John Mark? Did you get it right with John Mark? Paul, didn't, Paul did not have time for Mark at that point. And by the way, Mark came to him on his death, you know, as he's about to die. Who comes? Mark. He reconciled, but he didn't get it all right. And then Peter. We talked about our, our man Peter. And then finally, gifting. Spiritual gifts. We're not to be ignorant of our spiritual gifts. You know, a great way to determine spiritual gifts, for those of you guys that are married, ask, ask your spouse, you know, what, where do you see God like doing maybe some cool stuff in my life? They, they have perception, by the way, guys. They see better. My, my Susan, she, man, she reads. She can like read people. It's like weird. She can read. I'm like, what do you think? Oh, she she reads a lot, but I don't see it. They can tell us. Invest your life with some other guys in a small group. If you've never done that, do that. They can really get to know you. Really get to know. I mean, the, I mean the bad stuff. The stuff you really don't want people to know. Get with three or four guys. Spend spend a lot of time with them to where you can get to the point and say. Eh, this is this is what I'm really not wanting people to know, because it is Satan's ploy for you to own that. It is Satan's ploy. Whatever it is you're hanging on to, healing comes when you pull it out and expose it to the light, and that's God is waiting for that day.
that moment. It might be this weekend. Let it out, man. And be healed. And be healed. When you take these three things, passion, experience, and gifting, and combine them, I believe you find your heart for ministry. And you'll note the cross is in the center because the cross represents sacrifice. And ministry means love for people. And love, by its definition, means sacrifice. Walking and following Jesus means there's going to be sacrifices, guys. But that, and it's going to be sacrificial relating to other people. Serving their needs and serving them. So, I'd really encourage you this weekend, if you get some time to, to do that. How are we on time? we out? We're done. Uh, guys, I, I would love to visit with you this weekend over, you know, if you want to talk about some of this and about work. And I want to, I'm going to leave you with this. I was at a conference recently, and the pastor of a big church was talking, and he's talking about spiritual matter, and he said, you know what, and, and he's talking about another meeting, he said, even the business people in the, in, in the room got it. I'm like, his perspective, okay, and he's a good guy, but his perspective is this, and, and, and I want to I bust this one as a finish. That the marketplace is secular. Church is holy. Church, and I mean the little C, not the big C. Okay? There's a little C. The little C is, you know, the church I go to is a little church plant, Terra Verde, First Baptist, Second Baptist, you name it. Those are the little C churches. The big C church is the kingdom of God. That's the big C church of which all of us are called to be ministers in the big C church. And the greatest opportunity you have to be a minister is in your office. Because you spend more time there. Those of you that are in the business world, you spend more time there than you do anywhere else. And you are called to be a pastor and a shepherd in your office. And I encourage you and call on you to be bold in the marketplace as pastors and ministers in the marketplace. It is not secular. It is only secular because those leading choose a secular route. And God puts you around other people and I encourage you and call on you to be bold. And be bold like this. Have a Bible study in your office and invite four or five guys to do it with you. I call you to get out of your comfort of maybe church circles and go be a minister in the marketplace to your people that God put you around more than He does anyone else. And I assure you there's brokenness in your office. And there's healing that needs to occur. And there are people that need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And they need to know His Word. It's a, it's a change of mind. Remember, remember Romans 12. Patterns. We're caught up in patterns. And there's patterns of religion, by the way. I encourage you, you know, be involved in your church like y'all are doing and just continue growing a great kingdom-focused ministry. Do it in the marketplace. Be, don't, be business, don't be business people that do ministry. Be ministers in the marketplace. Let me close with you. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you that a guy like Peter, Lord Jesus, that you would use a guy like Peter and then you turn around and use a guy like any of us in this room, broken, uh, messed up at times, Jesus, but yet you still 
do your perfect will through each of us imperfect people. And Jesus, that's only because of your grace and your mercy and the price you paid on that cross for our sin. No goodness in us, but your goodness. And Jesus, I pray that your goodness will flow out of us this day, this weekend, and for the days to come, the rest of our life, Jesus, that we will be ministers wherever you put us, ministers to the people that you put in our lives. And I praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the message from the 2013 All-In Men's Retreat hosted by Houston's First Baptist Church. We hope this message has been encouraging to you. Pray that you have a great day. Amen.